0: Welcome, this is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We're starting a new series today and it's called Saints Among Sinners. And it gives us an opportunity to look at the book of Ephesians. The whole of God's Word is awesome. And you shouldn't have favourite books in the Bible. But if I did have a favourite, and I was allowed to have a favourite, although I'm not, but if I was allowed to have a favourite, it would be this particular book. I love the book of Ephesians. And I hope that through this series, whether it's myself preaching, teaching, whether it's Pete, says, Kath or anybody else, that it will do you good, that it will warm your hearts. And more importantly, that it will give you a love for the Word of God. Martin Luther, a great reformer in the 1500s, was asked, Do you always feel saved? He said, I don't always feel saved. Feelings come and feelings go, but the Word of God remains forever, and nothing else is worth believing. I trust that you have a love for the Word of God, that you can just fall in love with God and love with His Word through this series. And so we're going to start right at the beginning. It's a great place to start when you're starting a book. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse one it says Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, sorry praise be to God. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I mean that those three verses—that's rich. That can take you out of your deepest, darkest doldrums. Just that alone. By way of introduction this morning, I'm just going to highlight three things today. We're going to look at the author, in other words, the person who wrote the letter. We're going to look at the audience those that the author was writing to, and thirdly, the aim of the letter. In other words, the purpose for which it was written. How's that sound? Real simple. Going to keep it really, really simple. The first thing is the author. Paul, the apostle, was the author of this particular letter. He starts with an introduction. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle. I love that. I want to stop right there. I want you to capture something just in those two words. Paul, or three words, Paul and apostle. He doesn't start apostle, grand poobah, Paul. He just says, I'm Paul. And this is what I do. And what I do is not my choice, but it's by the will of God. You've got to catch this. Never confuse who you are with what you do. Many people confuse who they are with what they do, and so they do what they shouldn't be doing in order to feel better about themselves. Does that make sense? And so Paul says, I'm Paul. I'm an equal amongst everyone, just like you. But I have a different function, I have a different role. By the will of God, I've been called to be an apostle. And there's others in this place today that have been called by God to be a teacher. And there's others that have been called to be a housewife. And there's others that have been called to be a tradey. because God has a plan and a purpose for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future and to increase your sphere because there's people he wants you to meet. And so he's going to bring people across your path so you better make sure that you're in his will. Otherwise, you're not going to meet the people he wants you to meet. And so Paul very securely says, I'm Paul, and this is what I do. And so in this church, we don't have the titles because we don't want to confuse who we are with what we do. I'm Tony, and I'm a pastor in this local church. It's what I do. This is who I am. I'm Tony. If I say, hi, Tony. Hi, Tony. And this is what I do. I'm a pastor. That can change. But who I am will not change. What I do can change, but who I am will never change. You've got to get this. You'll never be secure. You'll never be the person that God has called you to be if you don't have this security in who you are in Christ. And Paul, from the very onset of the letter, starts with, I'm Paul. And this is what I do. And I do it, not because I've got tickets on myself, not because I chose this vocation for myself, but God chose it for me. And in this church, we have a desire to connect people to God, to his church, and ultimately to their purpose, for you to find God's will, God's fit, God's shape for your life. There are a lot of people that have done jobs and and, and gone to university to, to get a higher degree, to do a job, to feel better about themselves, but they're never quite content because it's not the thing God had called them to do. And so we have lawyers today who just wanted to be fashion designers, but you know that just, that's just hasn't got the prestige attached to it. And, and so they do life, but they don't do life to the full. Jesus came that you might have life to the full, and you'll never have a full life until you understand who you are. And when you know who you are, and more importantly, whose you are, it won't matter what you do. And so yesterday, because the cafe was full, I didn't say, hang on, whoa, 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 I'm Pastor Tony. Pastor Tony doesn't serve tables. I said, I'm Tony, there's a need, and that's what we do. And I had the time of my life meeting people and doing what I love doing. Amen. And so he says, this is who I am. I'm Paul, an apostle by the will of God. And it was a letter that was written by Paul when he was in prison. You've got to catch this. Everything that you're about to hear was from a man who was in prison. You think you're having a tough day? This man was in prison. So the author of the letter is Paul himself, Paul the Apostle. The audience, those that he was writing to, were the church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. It had a population in its time of about 300,000 people, and it was nestled in a valley and at the centre of this particular city was the temple built to the goddess Diana. And she was a goddess of the underworld and linked to magical power and astrology. And every morning people would put on lucky charms and say their incanta- incantations. And, and uh, they had high priests that were demonically inspired. They were very powerful. And as I mentioned recently, you know, girls as young as the age of 11 had to uh, prostitute themselves in that temple, to this goddess, and and were used and abused. In some way, Ephesus was a little bit like hell on earth. And it's on this setting and this foundation that Paul writes all that he writes. And what he says is, not you poor old thing. Paul, an apostle called by the will of God, are writing to you in Ephesus to say you poor old things. There, there, He doesn't do that. One, because they're not poor. Two, because they're not old. And three, because they're not things. Don't ever let anyone say to you that you are a poor old thing. Because you're not poor, you're not old, and you're not a thing. But he calls them saints. Paul, an apostle, called by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. I love that. Saints. He calls them saints. Today we have a distorted view of what a saint is. Even the dictionary is confused about what a saint is. It actually says that a person who is officially recognized for a holy life, apparently you've got to be dead for about 100 years and have done a couple of miracles and then you can be a saint. That's not what Paul was writing. Paul was writing to people that were still alive. Paul was writing to people that were struggling with life but were called by God. And into this context into this life-struggling context, Paul says, you are saints. You are saints in Christ. He addresses them as saints in Ephesians nine times. None of them are dead. In actual fact, the opposite is true. They were once dead in their transgressions, but because of their relationship with Christ, they've been now made alive. They were alive in Christ And it's this that Paul was speaking into. A saint is one who has been set apart. In other words, they were in the world, but not of the world. He says that they are saints in Ephesus, but the faithful in Christ. In other words, what Paul is addressing here is that Christians have two homes. We have where we live on planet Earth, and we have a home in heavenly places. We have our home in Adelaide and we have our home in Christ. That's what Paul is addressing here. And it's this thought that brings the conflict in our lives. Because we have a clash of cultures. Have you noticed that when you go to somebody else's home, they do things a little bit differently than your home? It's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just different. It's it's a cultural difference. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed, men, when you're young and single, you can wear the toilet seat wherever you want? Up or down, kind of, what I'm saying. (laughs) But then you get married, and you come into a new context, and you come into a new culture, you come into a new home. And this was certainly true for me. The biggest battle we had in our marriage was the toilet seat. Because I grew up in a home of boys. And for the most part, the toilet seat stayed up. Wasn't wrong, it's what we did in our home. But when we got married and moved into a new home, a home that I bought before I was married, mind you, my lovely wifey did not want the toilet seat up anymore. And there was a clash of cultures. And that for us as a Christian is where the battle is. It's the clash of cultures. When we were born, we were born into a culture. I was born into a very English culture. That's why I've drunk cups of tea since the age of two. It's what we did. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just what we did because of the culture I was born into. If I was born into another culture, I might not have drunk as much tea as I have drunken in my life. Maybe if I was born into an Indian culture or a Pakistani culture or some other culture, I would eat different foods and I would like different things because of the culture I was brought up in. And so when we were born, we were born into a culture. When we were born again, we are born again into a new culture, the kingdom culture. See, we were born into a culture that by and large says there's no God. You can do whatever you want to do. That's the culture we are born into. And when we give our lives to Christ, we are born again into another culture that says there is a God, He is creator. And you can't do whatever you want to do anymore for your own protection, for your own love and support, etc., etc. Is this making sense this morning? And so he says we have two homes. We are the saints in Ephesus, but we are the faithful in Christ. And as a result of being in Christ, we have a new life, which is awesome. That, that's the privilege. But then there's a the responsibility. We have a new way of living also. As Christians, we get a new life. Praise God. He, he saves us from the miry clay. He, he, he breaks the chains that we were singing about before. And that's awesome. And we, and we, we always rejoice at that. But then there's a responsibility to live a new life. And so Paul's saying, you know, things may be tough out there. I realize there's the goddess Diana and there's all the stuff that goes with that. And then there's all this other stuff that you've got to deal with as well. But I want to teach you how to live as saints amongst all of that. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. So 36 times in six chapters of Ephesians, Paul reminds them that they are in God, in Christ, in Jesus, in God, in Christ in Jesus, and this reminds them over and over again of their new home and their new position that's found in Christ, which means we can live a different way, we can walk a different way, we can act a different way, we don't don't have to carry on like everyone else. When we face hardships, when we face trials, when we face, face tough times, we don't have to act the way we used to act because we're in Christ. We have a strength and a power on the inside of us that we never had before, so we can act differently now. How do they become saints? Well, the answer stands in two key phrases. First, faith in Christ. And secondly, the grace of God. These men that Paul was writing to, this local church that he was writing to, were, were saints not because of their works, but because of a the decision they made to follow Christ. Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone because of the grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. This is a gift from God. What I love about all of Paul's letters, he starts with the grace of God. The grace of God. But Paul, we live in Ephesus, and there's this this demon goddess by the name of Diane. Whoa, 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 whoa. The grace of God be unto you. He finishes every one of his letters exactly the same as he starts it. The grace of God. Grace is unmerited favor. In other words, because of the grace, we get what we do not deserve. Because we are sinners, we deserve death. But because of God's grace, we don't get what we deserve. We get the opposite. It's unmerited favor. But also grace enables us to do what we could not not otherwise do in the natural. And so he's saying grace, grace, grace to you. Faith and grace go together because the only way to experience grace and salvation is through faith. And we're going to be talking more about faith and increasing our faith tonight in our meeting, which should be great. And so this is the audience. It's a church, a local church in Ephesus, struggling with all the things that are going on around them. And Paul speaks into them. And he starts with their position in Christ. And thirdly, this morning, the aim of the letter is to remind them not to live a pseudo-Christianity. To make the readers aware of the incredible riches in Christ, in our time of singing this morning, Pete alluded to the fact that God wants to take us out of smallness. Many Christians just live too small a life. They, they just don't live in the bigness that God has. And, and Paul starts saying, no, no, you need to understand in Christ you are rich. There are so many riches in Christ. Stop living as paupers. Live as rich people in Christ. Got to break off the smallness. You know, when we started this church, we called ourselves Victory Christian Centre, which later changed to Victory Church. Because when we started, I I wanted to break free from the small-minded, low-level Christianity that I experience so often in people's lives. I believe that we can live victorious because of our position in Christ. I really do believe that with all of my heart. And you should get excited about that because there are riches available to us. If you are struggling with whatever it is that you're struggling with, maybe, just maybe, it's because we're not tapping into the riches that are available to us. And that's what Paul is addressing here okay so you're struggling but come on guys you've forgotten your position you've forgotten what's available to you and to all believers that are in Christ and this is a promise that goes on to all time and eternity and so he's trying to say stop looking at the problem stop looking at the situation stop looking at the circumstances don't worry about what people said or what people are doing remind yourselves of the riches that we have in Christ Jesus And what he does, he contextualizes and he he uses this language specifically because Ephesus was known for its riches. Because of its religion, its arts, science and commerce and all those things, it created great wealth to the city. And so Paul, speaking to a wealthy city, used a parallel to capture their imaginations. And so when he's saying is, you know how rich the city of Ephesus is? You know all the dollars that it brings in? Well, I want you to know, in Christ, you're richer than all of that. And I think even just an aside right now is that when we're trying to connect with people, we've got to, we've got to understand the culture that we're ministering into. And that's why this building looks different to a building that we might have if we did a church in another part of the world because it'd be a different context and a different city. And so Paul, knowing the context that he was speaking into, draws this parallel. You're in a rich city. Well, I want to tell you about your riches in Christ in order to capture their imaginations. And then he goes on to talk about three things, the source Of our blessing, he says it was God the Father alone who made us rich in Christ. In other words, when you become born again, you're born rich. When the sun is setting tonight, I want you all to go out and admire it. And I want you to say to yourselves, and if you if you dare say it out loud, say my dad did that. That's how rich we are. This whole earth, my dad owns it. The galaxies, my dad owns it. When you were born again, you were born rich. You were born into the wealth of God, and there's no limit to his wealth, there's no limit to his supply. Through Christ, we share in the riches of God's glory, his mercy, and his unsearchable riches. Our Father in heaven is not poor. He is rich and he's made us rich. What I love about the way the book of Ephesians is written is that the first three chapters is about doctrine, your position in Christ. You've got to understand some things about God and you've got to understand some things about your position in Christ. And it's only once he's established that in the first three chapters, then he goes on in verse, uh, chapter four, verse one, and he says, Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I encourage you to do. We cannot do anything well unless we understand our position in Christ first. And so Paul labours long and hard for us to understand who we are in Christ. If we do not understand who we are in Christ, we will serve in the church for a while because we want recognition. We don't do it for that reason if you understand who you are in Christ. If we understand who we are in Christ, we will serve out of that. And whether people recognise us or not, we won't get upset. We won't get hurt because we're not doing it for those things. But you can serve in the church and not understand your position in Christ and be hurt the moment somebody doesn't say well done and then get upset and then leave. And it happens all the time because people do not understand who they are in Christ. And it's when we don't understand who we are in Christ, we can stand our ground, we can hold our line. And we can remind ourselves why we do what we do and why we don't do what we don't do. And so when somebody gets invited to the party and you don't, we can hold our line and say, I didn't do all that I'm doing to be invited to the parties. Yeah. Understanding theology is really important. Understanding our position in Christ is really important. And Paul knows that. That's why he doesn't start with be a good husband. He gets to that. He doesn't start with, you know, wives, stop nagging your husband. He gets to that. But he, he knows you can't, you can't sustain that without this first. Uh, kids, be good to your parents. He knows that's impossible. Can't start with that. That's not going to last too long. There's only one thing that can stain a husband loving their wife, a wife respecting their husband, children obeying their parents. There's only one thing that can stain that ongoingly, year after year after year after year after year after year. There's only one thing, and that's your knowing, absolutely knowing your position in Christ. And so when Paul was flogged and beaten and shipwrecked and left for dead, he didn't give up, he didn't give in, he didn't run away. No, what did he do? He held his line because he understood his position in Christ. That no matter what happens to me, none of that changes who I am in Christ. You've got to ca- this will revolutionize your life. If you've come to church just to find a husband, just to find a wife, it will not sustain you. Now hopefully that will be the overflow of coming to church. But let it be the overflow, let it not be the reason. You know, hopefully through us giving our tithes and offerings, we'll be blessed financially and we'll find ourselves better off than we were in time. But don't do it for that reason. Because there's nothing in Scripture that says God has to do that. But when we understand who we are in Christ, we won't be swayed. And so Paul spends a lot of time just trying to understand who we are in Christ. It's doctrine first duty second he looks at the scope of our blessing he says that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 it says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness why do we complain so much if that is true if God's given us everything we need for life and godliness in other words everything we need spiritually and everything we need for the earthlies he's given us why do we complain so much We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Whatever we lack, we can go to God and ask. And the last thing is simply the sphere of our blessings. And that's in heavenly places. Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. That our name is written in heaven. And we pray to a God who is our Father that is in heaven. In Colossians chapter three, verse one, as our musicians, please join me. It says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things. Why do we face the problems we face? Why do we have the problems we have? Because we don't concentrate and put our mind and focus on the right things. Over and over again in the scriptures, it says we are to focus on heavenly things, to fix our eyes on Christ who's seated in heavenly places. We too often just looking at earthly things and how those earthly things make me feel. But Paul will have none of it. We live in the world, but we're not of it. Paul said to the Ephesians, I know you're living in Ephesians, Ephesus. That's not going to be that's not going to change anytime soon, but you don't be of it. In other words, you're going to see a lot, you're going to experience a lot in that city, but don't be part of it. As a parent, there's every part of me, and I'm sure every parent here can identify with this. You send your kids off to school, with every part of you, you just don't want them to go because you know they're going to see some things. You know they're going to hear some things. In actual fact, they were saying that the average age people experience pornography for the first time is about 10 and dropping. That wasn't the case when I was that age. I know for our kids, they're hearing words at school and conversations at school that I would have loved to have been able to protect them from, but I can't. But I can teach them how to process those thoughts and I can teach them how to be not of that. I can't take them out of that school. I can't take them out of this world, but we can teach them how to not be of it. To live as saints among sinners. To live pure and holy lives and to make a difference. The reason Jesus made a difference is because He was different. You're not going to make a difference if you're the same. So if you go to your parties and get drunk and sleep around, you're not going to make a difference. It's not that God is a party poop. It's not that God says, I want you to stop doing all that just because I just don't like it. No, He wants you to make a difference. And we can't make a difference if we're doing exactly the same things. Someone has to draw a line in the sand and someone has to say enough is enough. Someone has to be able to say, I know you guys are all doing that, but I'm not. And there's a reason for that. There's a better way. I've been given a new life and there's a new and living way. If we act like the world, sound like the world, speak like the world, there's no hope. All hope is gone. But if we can hold our line and graciously be different and offer hope and help, Things can change. And that's why we're here. To be light. What does light do? It helps people see in the darkness. I was writing something out just at the back here. I was writing down. Embarrassed Tim Scott. That's what I was writing. And I couldn't see what I was writing. And Pete came with the light. And all of a sudden I could see what I was writing. It's what light does. It helps people see in the darkness. We have a world living in darkness and we can be light. Not religious bigots. We can be light. Bible says we can be salt. What does salt do? Salt flavours everything. We're meant to flavour our world. If we act like the same as them, we're not flavour, we're just, you know, it's just tomato sauce with tomato sauce. It doesn't taste any different. If you've got chips with no salt on and you got tomato sauce, and you come along and put more tomato sauce, they're not gonna taste any different. But we come and be salty oh, I like that. Do you know what chips without salt are? Yuck. <laughs> I, I don't know too many people that go into a fish and chip shop and say, um, I some, uh some fish and some chips, no salt. No salt. What? None? Not, none? None? Kind of like, i have some salt, thanks. A bit, bit more, thanks. And a bit more again. Now, someone might say, oh, but I don't like salt. That's fine, but let's give them a choice. Let's not just be tomato sauce if everyone else is tomato sauce. Let's be salt. And I've said many times before, the great thing about salt is not only flavors, but it doesn't take on the flavor of other things. Salt flavors everything, but salt is unhindered by other things. When you put salt on chips, chips become salty, but salt never becomes chippy. Have you noticed that? It doesn't take on the flavors of other things, it just is. So I'm salt, I'm here. Rubs up against chips, still salt. And this is what Paul's talking into, and this is what we're going to be talking into over the next few weeks as we look through the book of Ephesians. Paul emphatically declares to the church in Ephesus, as I am emphatically declaring to the church in Adelaide today, that you are rich, so don't live as paupers. There's a bigness inside of you, so don't live small lives. There's a strength in you, so don't be weak. There's a determination in you, so don't give up. There's an ability to stand in you, so don't run away. There's integrity and holiness and good in you, so don't act like an idiot. That's what Paul's saying. Be the difference, be salt, be light, because you can, because of Jesus. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.